Amen. There we go. I was thinking that the uh, people who come and say we're not going back, that's when I'm done preaching. <laughs> I, get, I get, some, uh, get some people riled up. Uh, open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't take too many texts from here. This one will be familiar to some of you, many of you. Um, I've probably heard this text before. The ninth chapter, Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter. <clears throat> I was thinking about, as you're turning there, I was thinking about the um, building process. As you all know, we discussed, and all of you guys were there when we did this, that we did not want to turn a profit on the church in California when we left. We didn't feel like that would be the right thing to do because it's a church, and we didn't, we're not about trying to make money on a church, and we just sold it for what we had into it. And I've thought about that many times because the Lord's going to allow us to have this and be done and be debt-free just like we were there, but here. And a lot better uh, facility than what we had there. And I just think the Lord heard that. I think when you, when you make the, we're going to go through the cutting out mic thing again. I'm just telling you right now, I can hear it. We may have to switch over to that one. Um, but I'm, I'm, I believe that when we honor the Lord in the, in the simple things, I believe that he is faithful to us. Amen? Amen. There we go. I don't know. I got mics that apparently the devil doesn't want, want me to preach what I'm going to preach. Two weeks in a row it's done that. I don't know. Dad's having no problems. We'll see if this mic has a problem. I don't know. <laughs> Amen. The, the ninth chapter and the 11th verse. This verse came to my mind, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach tonight different than I usually do. And I, and I feel a drawing of the Lord that this needs to be reinstituted as part of what we are. I think we've moved away from some things for a time, and the Lord's bringing us back to some things. And so if you'll receive from the Lord tonight, say amen. That's between you and him, not between me and you. If I preach an awful message, you can still receive from the Lord. If your heart's prepared, you're ready to receive, you're saying, Lord, I, I'm hungry, I want to hear from you, then he's going to speak to you tonight. You're in his house, you're in the right spot, amen? Verse 11, I returned and I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happeneth to them all. For man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in a snare. So are the sons of men snared in an evil time, when it falleth suddenly, Upon them. Lord, I ask you that you would anoint me to deliver your word. God, help us to hear what you would have to say tonight, Jesus. That you would draw us to your presence, Lord. That we would be moved, Lord, by your spirit. And we glorify you, Jesus, in all of this tonight. Amen. I was moved in my heart a few weeks ago. And I've been contemplating when I should speak this. And I literally, and I'm, I'm just full disclosure, I literally almost told a couple of people today 
you need to be here tonight because you need to hear this. And I did not because I felt the Lord prompt me, no. No, people are going to have to respond to me, not to you. And so I want you to, I want you to open your hearts. I want to talk to you tonight about pressing your luck. Pressing your luck. Solomon, considered the wisest man to ever live, makes a keen observation in this book of Ecclesiastes. He says the race, the race is not won by the fastest. The battle isn't won by the strongest. The best food doesn't go to the wise. Wealth doesn't go to men of understanding. And favor doesn't stay with men of skill. But time and chance happen to them all. Opportunity and misfortune. Good luck and bad luck happen to them all. You do not know the time of your opportunity or the time of your demise. We assume things because of who we are. We assume things will always be the way they are. If things are going good, we are just anticipating that things will always remain exactly in that condition. And if things are going bad, we are certainly hoping they will change and we will have good fortune come at our lives. We have been programmed to think in America that wealth is akin to godliness. The prosperity gospel is stronger here than in any nation in the world. Why? Because we are the wealthiest nation in the world. We have been the most blessed nation in the world. And we have wrongly assumed that our wealth is the blessing of the Lord always. But I'm going to tell you this, that there's a lot of rich people that are atheists. There's a lot of wealthy people who curse God and despise His values and His laws. Wealth and, and favor and prosperity do not equal godliness and they are not always the result of a godly life. As much as dad was talking about Uncle Skip and he's, he's getting older and his, his mind is starting to change a bit and that happens. But I, I have watched and I honor him because I've watched this man who could have taken off of the kingdom but instead has chosen to live in a trailer he lived in a single wide for a long time, and then some church in Kentucky, I think it was, bought him that house, and, the, and Austin and Dustin and I have been there, and they've lived in that for the last however long. And if I were to look at his life and value it based upon, upon wealth, based upon prosperity, I would say that he has been unsuccessful. If I, would, if I were to judge him based upon his godliness, based upon his prosperity, I would have said he is an ungodly man and he has not, uh, he's not gotten the favor of God. But this is not how life works. Time and chance happen to everyone. It happens to everyone. C.T. Townsend said something a few weeks ago, and I sent the message to some of the guys, and I said, man, you need to listen to this. And this was just a powerful message about being men. The same things that God had been working in my heart, he said some of the th same things, and it, it just encouraged me to hear somebody who's willing to speak the truth in this age. But he said something that's been in my heart, and I know, I think Dad even mentioned it. I've been thinking about this quite a bit. He said, people mistake God's patience for tolerance. We mistake God's patience with us for tolerance. Don't be mistaken. Your sin is not an accident. So Pastor Rodney, you're going to talk about sin. We're a bunch of Christians here tonight. We're all right. We're all exactly where we need to be. Listen, I'm going to preach 
what God has given, and I want you to apply it to your life as the Lord speaks to your heart. Amen? Sin is not an accident. It's not something you get better from. It's not something that God is okay with. Too often in our lives, we say, I am making it. I have provision. It even appears as though God is blessing me at my job. God is blessing me with my children. God is blessing me at my home. I feel no conviction about what I am doing. And you think that God is okay, but really you are just living on a chance. You're pressing your luck. Because there is an order, there is a structure, there is a direction of God for our lives. And if we are not walking in that, then time and chance, it's just a matter of time before your luck changes. And the scripture says very clearly, do not be mocked. God will not be mocked. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. And the wages of sin is death. This is not chance. We are pressing our luck if we ignore the word of God. You say, well, I look at my life and, and, I, and I don't really see a lot of, of uh, blatant sin. I can look at the list of things that maybe we would assign as sin. And I don't see those things present in my life. But the scripture also says to know to do right and not to do it is a sin. Sometimes there are sins that are obvious. The, the sins that we can name, adultery and fornication, those things that we see in, in the Ten Commandments, lying and stealing and murder, we can see those things. But there are also sins when God begins to instruct our lives and we refuse to respond, that becomes sin. Because sin really is just disobedience to the voice of the Lord. It's not your murder that's going to send you to hell. Because God can forgive, cleanse, and change you. It's your disobedience to the Word of God that will send you to hell. And we can apply that to every single situation. I, I, I don't care th this doctrine. I have not preached on this in so many years, but we absolutely need to begin to preach on it again. And we need to make sure that our young people very clearly uh, understand and know that that it does not matter how many times you have prayed. It doesn't matter if you really meant it. Your salvation is not secure by a prayer. Your salvation is secure only as you remain in Christ. That is it. There is no security because you have been baptized. There is no security because you have asked for forgiveness. The security happens because you remain in Jesus Christ. There's a lie from the devil that has been perpetrated upon our young people. And it is absolutely destroying the fabric of the Christian church in America. Because we have believed in a security and no need to follow the Jesus that we serve. We're relying on Jesus for salvation. But we do not follow him in discipleship. And it is sending our young people to hell. I don't care how many times you've prayed. If you're living in fornication, if you're looking at pornography, if you're drinking, if you're hitting up on the peace pipe, that'd be common around this area. Living a worldly lifestyle. You have stepped into the net. You have walked into the snare. And the lie of eternal security has given people freedom to sin 
and still think that they are saved. But the grace of God does not allow you to live in sin. The grace of God calls you and delivers you from sin. The angel came to Mary and said, you will call his name Jesus because he will do what? He will save his people from their sin. He did not say, call his name Jesus because he will forgive people of their sins. Because you do not need forgiveness, you need salvation. You do not need forgiveness, you need deliverance. It's an easy thing with God to forgive sin. Jesus said this. It's an easy thing to forgive sin. But the salvation work is what we need. I can forgive you of what you've done to me. In fact, the scripture even tells us that we have the right to forgive sins that have been committed against us. But I cannot save you. Even if I forgive you, even if I forgive you 70 times 7 a day, I cannot save you. Only Christ can save you. So the grace of God, He calls calls us to deliver us from sin. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts, the 20th chapter. And I'm going to endeavor to to talk to you tonight, tell you the story of a boy named Lucky. The 20th chapter and the 7th verse. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in an upper chamber, where they were gathered together. And there sat in the window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till the break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. Paul has landed in Troas. First day of the week, they have gathered with the disciples to fellowship with koinonia, the breaking of the bread, referring to the what the custom was, the the breaking of the bread representing the body and the blood of Christ. It wasn't just that they sat down and had nachos like we're going to do, but that they took communion, remembering the death and the resurrection of our Lord. And he began to preach to them. And he continued to preach a long time. Luke gives details here that I think are important. Do you believe that if the scripture gives us detail, it's for a reason? Or is it just something just to kind of kind of flower up the story? Like you got a, a, a thousand word essay and you got to figure out how to get all those words in there. Anybody become very good at adjectives when you had to do those? 
I did. Became really good at adjectives. You could put two or three adjectives in front of a in front of somebody, and man, you could get three words out of the way. This is not. I don't believe the words of the Lord, and and, and I don't believe that God inspired the men to write the scripture in that way. But I believe that the words that God inspired these men are measured. They are intentional, and there is different levels. I should have wrote them down. I I read this article this week, and it was really interesting. Speaking of the the four different levels in which the the uh, rabbis looked at the scripture. Some of them believing the surface level. That's the one level that it's just what you're seeing is, is what it is. Then a second level speaking more of the underlying story, what we would call the revelation, what dad was talking about today. And I believe that in the details, God is trying to tell us a different story here. Maybe something that we can grab a hold of. So Luke takes all this time to give this detail. He gives us the details of this man this young man's name. His name is Eutychus. And Eutychus means good luck. It means good fortune. Things are going his way. I'm going to call him lucky. That's really what his name is. He was a young man who was graced. He was smiled upon. What he touched turned out good. And when someone asked him what his name was, his response would be, I'm lucky. That's what his name meant. I've been thinking about this for several months. As you know, the Lord has had me reading the book of Acts a lot over the last couple of years since we've got here. I just keep returning and rereading it and rereading it and rereading it. And this story has stood out to me, and I have not known where to go with it. And this last week, or two weeks ago, I heard a man preach, and I'm going to borrow some of what he said because it absolutely nailed it down and put it together for me. I don't normally do this. I, I think that, you know, we like to have fresh manna and things that come from our heart, and I, I begin to think about that. And let me, let me tell you something. I'm not preaching this tonight to get glory. I'm not preaching this so that you think I've come up with some special cute thought. I'm speaking this because I felt the unction of the Lord to speak this to us. We must hear tonight. We need to hear this. Eutychus. The lucky man. Luke makes it plain in the description of this room. It was an upper room. And in this room, he says there were a great many lights. Why would it matter? What is it so important that there would be so many lights that he would need to talk about this? But Eutychus doesn't just fall to his death out of a window. There are some decisions that are involved with what Eutychus is doing that leads to his destruction. And it begins with a couple of facts. One is Eutychus is in the right place. Yes, he's blessed. Yes, he's favored. And yes, he is lucky. But he is also in the right place. He has come to the place where the brethren have gathered. He has come to church. He's in the room. And if God's going to speak to him, this is the place where God can speak to him. But notice something about Eutychus. 
Think about pressing your luck. Because when Eutychus walks into a room full of godly men and women, full of light, Eutychus makes a decision about where he is going to sit down. And he sits down and positions himself in a window. So it is late at night. In fact, the scripture says that it is, he is preaching until midnight. And Eutychus, with the choice to sit with everybody else or to sit in the window, he chooses the window. What is the window? The window is the place that is closest to the darkness. When I am looking to fall asleep, my family knows this, I am looking for the lights to go off. I can sleep no problem. The TV can be on, the movies can be playing, except for the chipmunks. I cannot sleep through the chipmunks. And my children, I tell them whenever I would take Sunday afternoon nap and they were younger, they intentionally played the chipmunks. I'm certain of that. But I am looking for a place that is dark and that is that is, uh, I, I, can, I can relax because I hate overhead light. It just bothers me. I prefer to have lights around the room but not beaming down on my head. He could have sat anywhere, but he positions himself in the window on a ledge between light and dark. He's lucky. He's favored. He's blessed. He doesn't need to worry about the dangers He's been surrounded by good people. He feels security in the fact that he is in the right place. He is comforted by the fact that he is surrounding himself with godly people. And yet in his decision making, he does not want to partake and enter in where everybody else is. I begin to think about this. Because we as a body, have been blessed with great truth. We have a great church. We have great homes. We have great friends. And sometimes that blessing becomes a curse because we can feel very comfortable in a bad situation. Because we are surrounded by so many good people, we can feel very comfortable in a bad situation. I have told the, the discipleship boys and girls when we did that, I've told my children this uh, so many times in life. They would say, well, don't you trust me? Yes, I trust you. I, if I didn't trust you, you would have no freedom. But I never trust someone to put themselves in a bad situation and pull themselves out of it. Because the very fact that you put yourself in the vulnerable situation tells you about the mindset with which you are going into the situation. And you can be surrounded with light and you can choose to snuggle up with the darkness. And I think that what happens so many times is that we believe that maybe he was just a little tired. Maybe it wasn't out of even bad intentions. But he positions himself in a way to where if something goes wrong, it means certain death. You don't fall out of the third story window and live. But he, he, he thinks, I know what he thinks. He thinks the same thing I think when, I'm, when Austin and I are crawling up on the top of these rafters and hanging off the top of a ridge 30 feet up. I'll be okay. Why do I think? I have no clue why I think that. 
Well, you got a rope. No, we don't have a rope. Just hang in there. What he thinks is, you know what? If I happen to fall asleep, I'll wake up in time. That's got to be what he's thinking. I know I'm putting myself in a position where I'm going to be comfortable. And yes, there's a chance I might doze off. I, I was thinking about that, that there are people who literally come to church with the intention of going to sleep. I know this because there was a man when I was a child that brought a fan and would clip it on the row in front of him, a battery-powered fan. And after he got done playing his harmonica for the offering, which was awful, he had a little Casio keyboard that he would hit, and it would go, dun-cha, 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 and he would play the, the harmonica with it, and it was terrible. I don't know why my grandpa let him do that. I have no clue. But he brought with him a fan that he would clip on the bench in front of him. And he would take his shoes off and he would sink down in that seat and go to sleep on the second row. So I know there are people who literally go to church with the expectation of sleeping. Why go? Because you want to be around the good people. Because you know it's the right place to be. Because you understand it's something that, that probably you need. But there's something in the heart that is drawing you away from the light and toward the darkness. And this is the danger. I'll wake up in time. I'm going to share this. I didn't ask him if I could, but I'm sure he will be fine with it. If he's not, I'll ask forgiveness later. But I begin to think immediately about Dustin. 20-something years ago, you were 21, so it's been like 20, almost 25 years ago. And Dustin and Danny, they're in the first round of discipleship. We had multiple rounds. The first round of discipleship. And Dad and I, I'm young, I don't know nothing. I'm just trying to, Dad's working with them, and we'd be always, they're just being stupid. I won't go into all the details, but they're being stupid. And, and Dad, I'd go into Dad's office and he'd say, well, I'm going to try to work with them today. We can always kick them out tomorrow. That was, that was, you know, we can always kick them out later. Let's just try to see if we can help them. And we kept trying to help them and kept trying to help them. And they were, they had gone off and they were partying. They were not living right. And finally dad says, hey, that's it. We can't, we can't do this anymore. We can't, this isn't going to work. We can't have people living at the church and living in sin. And so we said, hey, it's, it's time to go. We're going to have to go. And they'd been in a good place. They'd been surrounded by good people. A lot of people praying over the discipleship program, believing that God was going to change lives. There's, there's fruit of that here today. And, and I remember the situation, and I remember praying and, and uh, not knowing that the Lord was trying to speak to them and call them. And I went over, and, I, and Dustin probably remembers, I stood in front of him, and I said, man, Dustin, Danny, you guys are making, I know Danny my whole life. He had gone to church with me since we were little. I said, you guys are making a bad decision, and the decisions you're making right now are going to affect the rest of your life. And I, I didn't even, didn't feel like I was speaking prophetically. I take no glory in this. The Lord was trying to speak to them. The decisions you make in the next couple weeks are going to change your life. They're going to change your life. They're going to, they're going to change. You really need to think about this. You've had a covering of prayer. And, and they both listened and walked off. And it was a week later, I get a call at like 1.30 in the morning. And somebody says, hey, I don't remember who, if it was Danny. I don't remember who called, but... The long short of it is Danny had gone out, gotten drunk, took Dustin's car, went the wrong way on the freeway, hit a kid head on and killed him. And he's laying in the bed. Of course, he survived because he was drunk. And I go up there in the middle of the night and I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. 
try to talk to him, talk to him. Man, the Lord he was trying to warn you. The Lord's trying to call you out of this. I've long thought, and I don't know if it's true, but I've long thought the only reason Dustin is alive is because he had gotten in a fight the night before and it got beaten up so bad he was laying in bed and couldn't go. The whole, tro- the whole top of his, of his bronco was just destroyed. It was flat completely. I have no clue how Danny survived it, except there was this little bubble right where he was sitting driving that vehicle. And my point in telling this is I thought, surely, I remember thinking in my heart, this will wake them up. This will be the thing that, that they will say, you know what? Man, we narrowly escaped death. Yes, Danny went to prison for some years. And it changed his life. And I thought for sure this would be the thing. No. In fact, what I saw was the opposite. And Dustin would have to verify this. But what I saw was he went headlong into that lifestyle. It was almost as if it was a new lease on life, a rubber stamp. I'm lucky. I escaped what should have been death. And he would come over to my house about every six months. He would call me. I need to come over and talk. I think I was the priest at that point, just taking confessional. My life's messed up. I don't want to be a 23-year-old DJ. I don't want to do this. I I got to make some changes. I wouldn't see him for six months. He'd call me. Maybe a year. I don't know. And I thought, oh, I thought that would have changed him, and it won't. It never will. It was almost probably eight years after that before Dustin surrendered his life to Christ at the point where I realized he wasn't going to wake up. I said, no, he's done. I probably said that audibly to Carrie. He'll never come around now. But this is the beautiful thing about God is God is able to resurrect what is dead, and, and we'll get to that in a minute, but... My point in sharing that is you can think, I will wake myself up. I I won't fall into that condition. It won't happen to me. I won't allow it to get that far. But just like Samson who continued to lay his head in the lap of Delilah and, and skirt around the issues that were bringing destruction toward his life, he would get up and he would shake himself and the strength would be resurrected to him, but he continued to flirt with darkness. He positioned himself in a constant situation where he flirted with darkness. And I have seen this happen time and time again. I've seen young people who've grown up in church, who've been surrounded by godly people their whole lives, walk willingly toward darkness, thinking it will not affect me in the way it affects everybody else. But it always does. It always does. The choice to sit near where it is darkest is a deadly decision. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Oh, that is blessed. But the godly are not so. 
The ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind driveth away. Their leaf will wither. And whatever it is they are doing will not prosper. I'm telling you this tonight because the Lord is serious. Just as serious as the devil is. We're not playing games anymore. And I want you to hear me tonight because I think sometimes we just get so comfortable with status quo. I'm hearing more and more, and I, and I, I feel the same way. We're finally getting settled in in Oklahoma. It's home. We're getting used to it. We kind of know where everything is. I love Dustin. We talk, and he says, man, this is a little slice of heaven. It's so good. I love it. How could my life get any better? But that is so easy for us in that time to get very comfortable, and we become unaware of the darkness that we are allowing in our home. We become unaware of the things that are influencing our children. We become very unaware of the prevailing Darkness. Darkness is present in this room. The only thing that is stopping the darkness is the light. The world sits in darkness except that there is light. The natural state, your flesh will always return to darkness unless there is light. The truth is that sin does not usually kill all at once. When you think about staying up late, when a few, few probably the last time I did this uh, when, was when Roderick came down and visited for the first time. I hadn't talked to him. We saw him at Branson for a few minutes and hadn't talked to him. He came and stayed the night. And, and so you're talking and talking and talking and talking. All of a sudden, it's like 1.30 in the morning. And you all have done this at some point. And, and you, don't just, you don't just sit there and you're talking, and it's 1.30 in the morning, and all of a sudden, that's not how that works. What are you doing? You're sitting there, and you're talking. You know, the other night, we were at Chris's, and we were sitting there, and he said, I'm sorry, I'm dozing off. I'm just, you know, falling over. This is what happens. Sin doesn't kill all at once. Not, not most of the time. Certainly, there are, there are times where it does, but not most of the time. It is that lulling. The darkness lulls you into deep sleep. I, I have driven and it has scared the willies out of me. I know everyone has done this too. I have driven late at night, coming back from Sacramento, driving home to Anderson. And I can tell you multiple times that I remember seeing the Brooks Brothers sign in Corning and shaking my head and opening my eyes and I was in Cottonwood. Anybody else done that? And did it scare you to death? And you said, how did I get here? <laughs> what just happened? I'm, I'm fully unaware of the last 30 minutes. I don't even know what happened around me. Darkness. It lulls you into a state of security. It lulls you. It makes you unaware. It puts you into a deep sleep. It makes you unstable. Darkness steals your sobriety and your awareness of danger. Darkness deafens your ears to conviction. Darkness closes your eyes to truth. You could say tonight, I don't feel conviction. 
about the sin in my life. Wake up. If you don't feel conviction about the areas of our lives that need to be changed, if you don't feel conviction, let's take it, get it out of the Ten Commandments. Let's take it into the Lord speaking things into our hearts that He wants to change, and you just ignore it, and you feel no conviction about that. Wake up. Because darkness is present. Death is knocking at the door. I'm going to speak directly, parents. You need to open your eyes. we got a lot of parents in this room. I'm getting ready to be a grandparent. i got the hair ready to go. The gray's already in there, so I'm old enough to be a grandpa. Somebody said, you're old enough to be a grandpa. Oh, I'm way old enough to be a grandpa. We hope that our children will grow and follow Jesus And yet, so many Christian, maybe this doesn't apply to you, but I'm going to hit it at home anyway. So many Christian parents put in front of our children that we are hoping are going to grow up to follow Jesus. The filthy perversions of Hollywood and the garbage of this culture. We hand them the passwords to the internet We put in their hands a phone that at two clicks can find the most vile perversions that have ever existed in the history of mankind. Don't throw your children into the rattlesnake pit and then wonder why they got bit. My dad has said so many times to me through the years and as my kids were growing up and Everybody else has got a phone, and they're you know, wanting phones. And he says, are you going to put a rattlesnake in your kid's hands? You're going to hand it to them and say, here you go. You know, they, they got sharp teeth on the one end, so you want to avoid that end. But here you go. Now, listen, kids, they grow, and even mine, while they're here and, and they love the Lord, does that mean that, that they can't walk off and abandon the things of the Lord? That, yeah, absolutely they can. Kids make their own decisions. But let me tell you something right now. I'm not going to get down and give my children a boost to sit in the window. Yeah, they can choose their own way. Yes, they have a right to walk off. That doesn't mean it's not an indictment always against the parent. But it can be. But what I'm telling you tonight is we need to be keenly aware. We need to observe what is going on. We need to realize what is happening. Oh, but he's a good boy. He wouldn't look at that. She's a good girl. She wouldn't send naked pictures of herself over the internet. Yet, it happens over and over and over and over and over and over. And over. You cannot prevent darkness from being outside of your home. But you can make sure that your house is a light where your children have a refuge from the darkness. And we need to recognize what is happening 
What is coming across that television, I'm not preaching against TV. I'm not preaching against phones. Absolutely not. But we need to be aware of the darkness that is present when we just open these things and say, hey, yeah, I know you want to watch this. I know you want to do this. I know you want to go there. I know this is what everybody else is doing. And I don't want to tell you no. If I say no, then I'll I'll be the bad guy. I don't want to be the bad guy. I want to be the buddy. We have watched continually, and every one of you is is a witness of this in some way, but we have watched continually as men and women who I will say, let's just call them Christians. Christian men and women have fallen prey to the perversions of this world, yet we somehow believe that our children are going to be able to stand up to what men and women who have grown up in church for 50 years haven't been able to stand up to. I I hardly believe that I should... I remember when we pulled our kids out of school and we went into homeschooling and I got lamb-blasted by multiple... I'm air quoting here, Christian men who told me, we're not to pull our kids out of public schools. They need to be the light. And I remember thinking then, and I told them directly then, my kids aren't old enough to be the light. I'm trying to be the light. That's why I'm pulling them out of the darkness. And you hate me for it. Listen, yes, sir. We're training them. We're growing them. We're encouraging them. We're trying to, we're trying to get the response to, to go toward the Lord in their lives. Absolutely. But that has to be trained. We cannot expect that they're going to make great decisions if we put them in bad situations. We've got to put them in good situations. And Eutychus pressed his luck. He sank into a deep sleep. Some would blame Paul. For preaching too long and too late. I can hear it right now. I can hear it from 27 years ago when I didn't have a clue what to do, didn't know up from down spiritually. And we started working with the young people. And I'm going to dad and saying, dad, I don't know what to do. And he said, well, I'll tell you what we're not doing. We're not going to try to bring people to Christ through the world's methods. We're going to preach the truth of it. We're just going to continue to preach the truth. And and I know that message is too long. And I know it's going too late. But we're not going to save kids by shortening the message and not staying out too late at church. It's not going to do it. The problem is not that. Say, well, what was Paul preaching at midnight for anyway? There's no need to be preaching at midnight. Why was he preaching that long? There was no need to be preaching that long. Well, there is a burning sometimes of the Word of God in our pastor's heart because it needs to be preached today. Tomorrow, Paul was going to be leaving. He didn't have time to deal with it tomorrow. This was an issue that needed to be dealt with right now. And everybody's welcome to come and go as you please. You all can get up and go out and wander around the yard and leave, go eat dinner, whatever you want. Nobody's holding you in this place is my point. 
Why was Paul preaching at midnight anyway? Well, maybe he was sharing with them just four chapters back where he and Silas are in prison, locked in shackles, and begin to sing praise at midnight. And that as they begin to praise God, the shackles begin to fall off of their arms and feet. And not only theirs, but the prisoners around them. And the doors are set off of their hinges so that there is no confinement anymore. And maybe he just wanted to give an illustrated sermon. But he is preaching fervently, long and hard, encouraging Popular opinion would say that young people are losing interest in church because of the message. Change the message. Play games. Do biker ministry. We've got to do something to catch people's attention and keep them in here because if we don't, we're going to have a bunch of people falling out of windows and dying. They'll never stay in church. If we don't capture their attention. But I think the better message is to preach. Get out of the window. That's the message, Pastor, that was talking about today. The gospel. The gospel isn't, hey, let me try to keep you awake over here while you sit in the window and entertain the darkness. I know, I know there's darkness out there, but I'll be darker. And then you'll watch me. No, it's the message that is right. The message did not kill Eutychus. The darkness killed Eutychus. So, we need to prompt people out of the windows. Talk about the remission that the Lord wants to do in their life where He begins to liberate them from the decisions that are leading them to sit themselves in the window to begin with. They are lying, telling you that transgender kids, homosexual kids, are committing suicide because they are not being affirmed. They are dying because they have surrendered to darkness. That's the issue. And the church, I, I am so saddened by this but the, the problem is, is that the church is putting chairs in the windows now so that they feel affirmed in their darkness. Trying to save them. I've heard this so many times. It's better to have a, a living transgender son than a dead girl. No, it's better to preach the truth that sets people free from their sin. And if we don't do this, Rodney and Dara, I know Rodney's... In there, he can hear me. There you are. Speak the truth. Don't worry about the message. The message isn't killing anybody. We got evidence in this room. Y'all been hearing pastor preach a long time. You've been hearing me preach a long time. We've never really, never really sugarcoated too much. And you made it. You made it. Keep preaching the truth. Don't surrender to this woke generation. That's a funny word. It's a funny word. Because the, what the world calls woke is really sound asleep to the truth. 
what the world is calling woke is surrendered to darkness. You know what you do the first thing when you wake up, unless you're a dumbbell like me? If I wake up in the middle of the night, I don't mind tripping on stuff because I don't want the lights on because once the lights hit my eyes, I can't go back to sleep. But when you get up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? You flip the lights on. This woke generation, it's darkness. It's all darkness. Eutychus did not die because of the sermon. He died because of the darkness. So now he has pressed his good fortune too long. He lies dead in the road. Anyone can see he's dead. Everyone is pronouncing him dead. The death certificate has been issued on this generation, and it appears as though we have lost the battle to the darkness. It's settled in, and there's no way we're going to draw this group back. And I said this a few weeks ago. I believe one of the most vivid pictures of masculinity in the Scripture is when Jesus takes that whip and begins to drive the money changers out of the temple. This toxic masculinity being on on full display for everyone to see. The very thing that everybody says is, is harming our children. And yet when we are done with that scenario, the scripture says, and the children entered into the temple and begin to cry, Hosanna. When we operate as God has intended us to operate. Now let's take that into not just into our homes. Not just into us being men like we're supposed to be. But now take that into the church. When we begin to stand up and and speak the truth. Of course in love. We don't need to talk about that. We already know that. We're emphasizing that. We've lost the truth. We're emphasizing love and we're no longer talking about the truth. We begin to rise up. I believe this is the one hope For our generation. The one hope. This is only hope. Is that we begin to declare the truth of God. It's going to push people away. It's going to harm those. It's going to make people say, no, I don't want to go to that church. They're too hard. They they won't affirm. They they don't love. They won't play the, the, the woke game. They won't play the social justice game. They won't play Black Lives Matter game. And unless we're going to do all this stuff, then we're going to lose this generation. But the truth is, this generation is lost to darkness. And the best thing we can do is display the brightest light that we can. I hope that we can shine a flashlight in somebody's eyes that will wake them up out of the sleep. Because this is the hope for our generation. The apostle runs downstairs and he falls on lucky He falls on Eutychus, and it's literally the same word that's used, I believe, in Acts 10. I think it is where it says that the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius' house. Same word. And he embraced him. And says, listen, don't worry. There's life in him. And this is the part that I think we cannot miss. He picks him up and they go back upstairs to the upper room that is full of light. He doesn't say, man, that was close. I don't want you to fall out of the window again, so you better go home and get some rest. 
No. He takes him back up to the fellowship. And they begin to sit around and continue to discuss the things of the Lord and continue to talk about the goodness of God and what Paul is trying to deliver. And in fact, what should have ended about midnight, he probably could have been done, continued all the way through the night until the break of the morning. I've said all that to say this. Get away from the window. You're pressing your luck. Move toward the light. Now, I want to do something that I think needs to be done. This is not an altar call of what we have become accustomed to. We've seen so much of this where go down to the altar because it's time and everybody goes down and prays for a minute and and you kind of go back and do your own thing. But I want you to think for a moment, and if you will, gather your thoughts in. And I want you to ask yourself, am I willing to move toward the light? Parents, you're not exempt from this. This wasn't just a a youth service. Bitterness is darkness. Discontentment is darkness. Obstinance is darkness. None of us are exempt from this. And I just want to ask you to, to examine, don't examine your heart for the sin. I want you to examine your heart and say, am I willing to move toward the light. It doesn't matter where you're at. I don't care if you're walking perfect, if you're upright and everything's perfect in your life. What I'm asking you right now is, are you willing to move away from the window? You might be sitting where Coop is and the window's right there, but are you willing to get further away from the window? And this is what I believe the Lord is prompting. And if you will, if you feel like it, I'm not... I'm not trying to get an emotional response here, but if you will, I want you to find a place to pray right now. I want you to find a place of consecration before the Lord. I want you just to say, Lord, move in me. Let your light shine within me that my heart will respond to your word. If you'll do that, why don't you do that right now? I don't care if it's sitting in your pew where it's at. I don't care if it's coming down here to this place right here. But I want you to open your heart. I felt the Lord so strongly. There are people that God wanted to speak to that that are not present because God is trying to call and draw, but we have to respond. We must respond to the light. Lord.